0: Let's begin uh, the session. Um, And we'll start with the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, But thou art the same, Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. The last uh, question of the uh, previous session was uh, asked by Adam Wood, and it was, what does What does this uh, discussion of uh, the the vices of pride and the virtue of humility have to do with self esteem and the whole concern with self esteem that's so large in uh, psychology and was even larger than it was, even larger a few years ago than it is now? Um, So I want to talk today about um, virtuous pride. About the uh, the virtue counterpart of the vicious pride, and the virtue uh, the virtue of pride that goes with humility. So the idea is that you can combine uh, humility and pride in your personality. Uh, and this is a this is a quotation from Soren Kierkegaard. He says um, this is a this is on in a discourse on the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's an exposition of texts from, La- from Acts where you see the, the, the disciples boldly proclaiming uh, the gospel. He says, never has a human being lifted his head as proudly in elevation over the world as did the first Christians in humility before God. No, proud as they were in their humility before God, they said, "It is not for us to hang back and dawdle along the way. We do not stop until eternity." So my, my question to you is, what does pride mean in this what, how would you what are some synonyms for pride in this quotation? Just um, what is he talking about? He's, he, apparently, he's not talking about vanity, arrogance, snobbishness, and all of those vices that we were that we were talk, we've been talking about. He's talking about something else, right? Uh, so, what what would um, what kind of traits would he have in mind? Henny? Confidence. Okay, confidence. Would it be self-confidence? Yeah, okay, There's, so it has something to do with their own selves, right, their identity as, as children of God, as redeemed people. Yeah, Rich? Bob, actually believing what has said because he has said very marvelous
1: things in terms of who we are in
0: him. Okay, confidence, confidence in God as well, right? There's a sort of a sense of, of uh, trust, the trustworthiness of God and and trust in oneself uh as as one who has been blessed by God. Yes. That part where Jesus says you
1: are the light of the world. and you how to throw light in there as light in that sense to live to something that will were playing
0: over you. Yeah, what a high ambition it is to be the light of the world, right? I mean just just think of that. We're supposed to be enlightening the world. Doesn't that take some kind of sense of yourself, uh, some kind of sense of, of your importance? Um, okay, here are some suggestions that come to my mind. The, the disciples are unintimidated. They're undeterred. They're ambitious for the gospel. They're, they aspire to high things, to high actions in, uh, in, the, in the Holy Spirit. They're confident. They're sure of themselves. Um, and so the question would be, I mean, one question that's been raised by some people who, who com- have commented about this thought is, um, is that, is it good usage of the word pride? <laughs> is this kind of self-confidence and this, uh, undeterredness and so forth, does that, does that really count as pride? And, uh, maybe if you've been, um, Beaten over the head with Augustinian uh, um, <laughs> worries about human pride, uh, you feel as though pride really isn't quite the right word for that. Um, so I suggest we just keep that in mind. But um, here's, a, here's a text uh, from the Book of Acts, early in the Book of Acts, uh, it's not exactly the text that Kierkegaard is expounding in that in that uh, passage that we read, but it goes this way. And now, Lord, the, the Christians pray, look upon their threats and grant to thy servants to speak thy word with all boldness. The disciples have just been threatened by the religious authorities in Jerusalem, and they're they're quite uh, un unprepared to cave in to these uh, authorities. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And this word uh, boldness appears many times in the gospel, Uh, not so much, I think maybe not so much in the gospels, but in, in acts it appears, and in the letters of Paul, Paul talks about uh, speaking with boldness, and I think maybe that could be um, taken to be what Kierkegaard's is talking about, and also something um, something that could be called pride. Maybe uh, <laughs> we can leave that undecided, perhaps for now. But um, so, if you combine humility and pride, then you have humility is Freedom from vanity, arrogance, lording it over others, snobbery and racism and all the other vices of pride, right? That's just, it's just freedom from all those, those kinds of pride impediments. And then pride itself is self-confidence, high ambition, secure sense of one's agency, entitlement serenity. I wanna talk a little bit about entitlement serenity <laughs> because that's a word I made up uh, but uh, in sort of independence of mind, thinking for yourself, personal authority. We see Jesus exercising considerable personal authority in the Gospels, and that seems to be uh, kind of a, something that's at least in the, in the family of pride. Um, and so in these senses, pride and humility not only go together, but they actually seem to support each other. So if you're really free from the vices of pride, then you're sort of freed for uh, this, this kind of self, self-understanding that, is, uh, that we might call virtuous pride. And then if we look back at uh, previous sessions and, and talk about humility as low or moderate self-assessment, low ambition, and low self-confidence, <laughs> uh, and then pride as vanity, arrogance, lording it over others, and so forth, then we can see that these, these vices also seem to support one another. So it, you know, people who are arrogant are often said to have low self-esteem and that they've being compensating for, for not feeling very good about themselves. They kind of need to be constantly pumping themselves up by making claims, uh, uh, entitlement claims, and so forth. So here are the vices of pride. I, I, I sort of uh, try to talk to them, try to talk about them in terms of um, distorted agency, corrupt entitlement, empty self-display, invidious comparison, and tribal superiority. And if we try to cons- consider some prides, some virtuous prides, that you might say, trade on the same things, trade on. Self display, um, entitlement claims, um, um, and, and some of the others, then we, uh, we could have prides of proper agency, <laughs> right? Uh, proper sense of your own agency, pride of proper entitlement, which I call entitlement serenity. Uh, the pride of being loved, which, which is self-confidence, belonging to a loving and respectful community, right? That gives you self-confidence, doesn't it? When you belong to a loving and respectful community, they, everybody respects you. You respect everybody else, and this gives everybody a kind of sense of of their their importance. Really, I mean, everybody has <coughs> has importance then. Um, all right. Um, so it looks as though there are two different um, aims. The vices of pride are concerns for a misguided goal, right? For a kind of for a value that's not really a true value, uh, and that is value. The value is being important by being adulated by having privileges that others lack, by lording it over others, by beating others in a superiority contest. That's, that's a, a place that lots of people do get their self-esteem, right? I mean, and I think we, we're all in that boat. We've all, <laughs> we've all seen that in our own hearts. Um, but then there's a coris- corresponding virtuous goal that has to do with, with um, being important as a person And it's being important by having a place in the community, being loved, respected, and understood by others, and having a contribution to make, feeling as though you've got got something you can offer uh, to the community. So if we look briefly at uh, Jesus' Jesus pride, we can find a few passages that seem to to suggest that he had this strong sense of himself. Um, and uh, here's one: as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Immediately. They left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, and he calls them. <laughs> uh, now that takes a lot of chutzpah for a, to to walk along the shore of a of a uh, of a sea, and say, "Give your life to me. Come, follow me. Give up what you're doing. Lead a new life, which will be a life of following me." Uh, You've got to be very self-confident to do that, I would think. Um, and the, it, the passages like that make, make skeptics think Jesus is just grandiose, you know. I mean, Je- Jesus is just, he, there's something, he's off, off his rocker or something. Uh, nobody, nobody in his right mind would behave in this way. Um, He has this authoritative demeanor. At the end of the um, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we have this witness by by Matthew, the, the author of the Gospel. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So here he is. He's been, throughout the the Sermon on the Mount, he's been uh, criticizing the, the elders and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, people like that, uh, and calling them hypocrites and, uh, and uh, just speaking as though he's in a position to, to criticize anybody who deviates from the, what he takes to be the law and then you even find him here and there uh, correcting the Old Testament. Right? I mean, <laughs> he's actually saying it was said of old, but I say to you, now again, this is a kind of uh, a kind of authoritativeness or sense of your own uh, your own capacities and uh, and authority that is extraordinary. It's not, you know, the Jesus meek and mild sort of (laughs) picture, although we'll see that too in a moment. Yes. so pride is a kind of self correction no. or or a yeah well um, but I take it we think that that um, he is being rational <laughs> in in making these claims um, so i'm not I'm just not sure what what the objection is uh, i mean he's he is extremely self-confident. Now, are you, are you thinking self-confidence requires some kind of the um, um, possibility of not being self-confident like or something? Or something. You know, like yeah. You know, my, my risk of calling people to me is not So price risk is Yeah, so maybe it would take more courage for you. But I don't know whether it would take more pride. I mean, uh, uh, or or take less pride. Uh. Okay, um, Jim. you're you're doubting that all right take it Okay, maybe we, this is uh, we're, we're getting into very difficult uh, <laughs> uh, questions about the psychology of incarnation or something. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we could move on. I hope, hope, uh, I hope this isn't abrupt. Uh, but
2: uh,
0: okay, here let's let's talk about a little bit about entitlement serenity. Now entitlement serenity as i see it is the ability to claim your entitlements when it's appropriate but also to give up your entitlements if that if something overrides them right and people who are arrogant have have trouble with this they they can't they 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 they, they hang on to their entitlements right even even where it really doesn't make sense to do so, even though maybe they do have the entitlement. Um, So uh, here's the text for, for Jesus claiming his entitlements. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Uh, These are high entitlement claims. He's he's claiming to be entitled to this kind of devotion that that is greater than your devotion to your own parents, um, greater than your devotion to your your children, and uh, really greater than any any other, other devotion that you might have. He's claiming the highest possible devotion uh, that's, uh, that's an enormous entitlement claim. But when he's, when he's facing uh, Pilate, uh, he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, and he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Of course, Pilate would, would is expecting him to defend himself, right? And he just sits there but he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor wondered greatly. So apparently Jesus, at this point, decided, this is not, not the time to call in my entitlements. Uh, I, I, of course, am entitled to defend myself. I am, I am perfectly innocent, and uh, uh, these, tr- these ch- charges are all trumped up. Um, but, uh, but he apparently... It's part of the part of the plan of God that he undergo this this uh, this treatment, and so he he uh, forfeits, you might say, his entitlement at that point. Um, pride has to do with our our sense of ourselves vis-a-vis other people. And, uh, of course, the vice of pride that uh, corresponds to that is vanity. Um, but there's also a kind of a, a sense of, of oneself in, in uh, the attitude of others that is appropriate pride. Uh, Jesus says, "The Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, as the son may, that the son may glorify thee, since thou hast given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom thou hast given him, or to all whom thou hast given him. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do, and now, Father, glorify thou me in thy own presence with, thy, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. Now, this word glory um, has to do with uh, with. Excellent. Uh, you're you're glorious if you're excellent, uh, but but it, it also has a sort of subjective side to it, namely that um, that someone else is glorifying you, right? That that, so, that you are being glorified by the praises of of another. Um, so, in I I want to cl- claim that in a perfect love relationship an unflawed love relationship, the two partners to the relationship glorify one another in, in this way. They, they appreciate one another. They praise one another, um, and, um, and this, this praise and, and appreciation and glorification have a kind of reciprocity about them. They have a kind of mutuality. It's a kind of self-feeding uh, relationship that, that, uh, that goes on, and I'll, we'll, I'll illustrate that a little bit later. But that's, what's, that's what seems to be going on there between Jesus and the Father. Um, Jesus also has a sense of himself before people, not just before God. But. So at a few places in the Gospel, people actually... Kneel down and worship Jesus. Extraordinary activity, right? Act, act for them to do. Um, and uh, unlike the apostles, who, when people bow down before them, say, "Get up! Don't, don't do that to me." I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm just a human being, just like you. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that, does he? <laughs> he, um, he accepts the, the. Um, the the worship that that people offer him. And that that again is a sense of himself before people. It's as though he's saying, that's appropriate. You're you're in you're in good shape if you're worshiping me. Um, now in the in the Sermon on the Mount there's this there's this kind of Tension. There's a kind of contradiction or something uh, in Jesus' sayings. He says, when you give alms, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So he's criticizing people who, who uh, show off their piety. But then he says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven? <laughs> in other words, when you act, act well. Act, act in public. Let, let, let other people see you, uh, and they will they will glorify God uh, as a result of your being pious and and uh, dutiful and faithful and obedient. Um, so, what's what's the solution there? What? How do you solve? Resolve that uh, that tension. I think you do it by appeal to motives, right? So, in the one case, these people are trying to make themselves important in the way in the way of vanity, but in the other case, they're trying to glorify God. They've got the the, the people in the who are the objects of these two sayings are different different people. Uh, fundamentally different in their orientation toward value. Uh, yes, please. Does, does,
1: since, since you're writing down some of the words here, before, um, it's more helpful for me when I think of pridefulness in that yeah. full of pride to the point that it's, it's no longer right in measure. Mm-hmm. It seems that's what your, your clients do.
2: Is, is mm-hmm. you're,
0: Yes, Yes, you're a good Aristotelian, I see. Uh, <laughs> in other words, vi- virtues are means between extremes. There's, there's an extreme on one end, and an extreme on the other end, an extreme of excess, an extreme of defect. Uh, and what you want to do in, in virtue is to find the middle point, right? Find the, the medium point. Uh, and I'm... My whole um, talk here is a resistance to that view. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. You see, that's that's the point I'm in making. The difference between these two ways of of uh, getting self-importance, getting importance of yourself, right? There's a there's a bad one and there's a good one, and you want to completely eliminate the bad one and emphasize to the, to the, to the hilt, the good one, (laughs) and so it's, the, the virtue is not a, a, a mean between extremes, but I, I take your point about pridefulness. I think the word pridefulness certainly has that negative, uh, connotation in a way that the word pride maybe doesn't, because some people actually go around, you know, thinking that pride is a, is a virtue, and that, uh, that humility is a vice. Um, okay, so let's turn to a different question here. I, I want to get to this, and I, I see Dan's question, Dan's hand back there. But let's maybe we could uh, ask it at the end, just to make sure I get through all of this. Um, according to a Christian understanding of persons, where does virtuous pride come from? And I've already uh, suggested. <laughs> That it has to do with glory, glorification. Um, I think maybe that's the primary thing. So here's, here's a text from the Gospels. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he came down and received him joyfully. And this is the story of a transformation of of an outcast, right? Uh, And and the transformation occurs by Jesus inviting himself to dinner (laughs) at uh, at the outcast's house. This guy is a tax collector. He's hated by everybody, and uh, and and Jesus says, "I'm gonna. I want to have. I want to have a, have dinner with you." Now that that says something to Zacchaeus, doesn't it? It says, "Zacchaeus, you're okay." <laughs> but of course, Zacchaeus doesn't, doesn't think he's completely okay because he has this uh, transformative trans- transformative uh, transformative experience, and he. He talks about giving away his riches and uh, compensating all those he's cheated and so forth. So he's been transformed, but he's been transformed by Jesus glorifying him. So in the biblical psychology, I think that approval is morally ambiguous. Either it's empty admiration, adulation, and envy. Envy is a really interesting case because it is a kind of approval, isn't it? but it's a kind of nasty approval. You you approve of somebody and then you want to put him down because he's so so good. Uh, So it's kind of paradigmatic in a way of this bad bad kind of approval. Or there's respect and love. That's another kind of approval. Uh, Love at its finest is mutual, but it is the nature of love to approve what it loves. In mutual love, each glorifies the other by rejoicing in the other's presence. In doing so, you make yourself lovable. So if I'm glorifying you, then you're going to see me as, a, as pretty lovable, right? Because I'm loving you. And then I'm going to look at, uh, then, then you're going to respond with love, and I'm going to look at you and respond and say, that person is glorifying me, that person is a very attractive person. I love that person, and so I glorify the glory. Just goes back and forth, in a, in this uh, in this virtuous, um, what you call it, kind of a the opposite of a of a. Anyway, <laughs> I I'm losing. Okay, now I'm going to show you a, a little a short video here. Of a um, of a mother interacting with a child, uh, and this this illustrates this sort of uh, mutual glorification idea. It's very this is very primitive, right? Extremely primitive. This child is I think three months old at the point at this point. So just listen to the mother's voice. Uh, and see see the reaction the way in which these the baby and the mother interact here That's, um, you may not have been able to hear the audio very well. I turned it up as high as I could go. Um, but the, the, uh, there was perfect coordination between, <laughs> between the baby's responses, the, the smiles, the laughs, the kicks, all this, this stuff, and the mother's um, loving voice coming over saying to the baby, you're great. So the mother's taking taking joy in the baby, and the baby's taking joy in the mother, and it just goes back and forth, and and uh, it's a it's a premise of uh, object relation psychologists of psychology that this kind of interaction between mother and child is crucial for the for the child's self formation right for the for the child's Sense of self, uh, so this becomes the this kind of sense of confidence that the child develops by interacting with the mother in this way um, becomes just an, sort of an implicit thing in the in the child's in the child's character. It's not as though the child's going around saying, "I'm a great I'm a great person because mommy loves me." It's not anything near, nearly as rational as that. It's a uh, it's a, it's just a kind of an intuitive sense that I'm okay, and, you know, if I if I go to my psychodynamic psychologist, he he'll tell me, oh, the reason you're feeling so okay about yourself is that your mother loved you. <laughs> right. Okay, uh, <clears throat> but there's also uh, maybe a. Um, this is a slightly older child, um, same mother. And um, and here we we see uh, agency in operation. The child is trying to do something, trying to walk. And this this child has <laughs> a lot of will. Uh, you can see the this kid you get it? and the mother. Did you hear that? She said, okay, nice job. (laughs) So, Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with outcasts. And it seems likely that he didn't devote his time with them to lecturing them about morals. Uh, He certainly didn't uh, make it a condition of of, uh, Zacchaeus being moral that he went to visit him and uh, eat with him. He He recommends to the rest of us that when we have a banquet, we invite the outcasts as our guests. This would be very difficult for most of us. We wouldn't know what to say to them, and they wouldn't feel comfortable with us. They wouldn't like being with us, but it seems they liked Jesus. That, along with other evidence, suggests that he liked hanging out with them. He enjoyed their company, and being human, they responded by liking him. Around the table, he had communion with them, genuine, heartfelt, joyful fellowship. This made them feel important, and it wasn't an illusion. Fellowship with Jesus brought out the good humanity in them. So, I think we might have time for some questions. Dan, did you want to...
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if we are given something, we are given the light, uh, letting it so shine isn't uh, an act of self-aggrandizement. It's something that we've got to do because we've been given it, and uh, we are the good stewards of it. And if uh, you have a musical, or artistic, or academic gift, to not use it is to not be a good steward.
0: Right, excellent. Well. Stewardship is a relational term, right? A steward is a person who serves, or serves somebody. And uh, the, the, the context of all of this is, is relationships, right? It's the relationship between uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the apostles who are so self-confident and bold and so forth. And it's the uh, and, uh, virtuous ambition is in the context of love. It's in the context of loving, ser- loving service to, to, uh, to others and in the context of obedient service to God. Uh, so so uh, virtuous ambition would be stewardship. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, back there. Okay, so the objection is that, uh, that pride just seems uh, intrinsically uh, in English to be a word that, that in, in, that's about yourself too much, right? About, that so everything that, you said about the good kind. I just need another word with it, I think. Yeah, need another word. Well, of course, I've offered several words like um, entitlement serenity and uh, <laughs> self-confidence and uh, se- secure agency and so forth so you could you could substitute those <laughs> but um yeah i think i do think this i think uh you know the the let's say uh the um, the virtuously ambitious persons who so at the end of his life he he's uh, accomplished maybe many good things um for the lord and for for humanity and um and but the question would could be raised well, what's he really thinking about what what's the focus of his thought when he when he thinks about those things that he's accomplished and uh, and the emphasis could be very strongly on i accomplished them right or it might be on they were accomplished i i, I accomplished them <laughs> you know so the, the stress and I do think that Uh, a a maturely proud person doesn't go around thinking a lot about himself or herself. Um, That that is, um, that it's it's submerged in the same way that the self, the the sense of self that you derive from your mother having loved you is sort of submerged and it's it's expressed in all these other actions that you uh, perform. But it's not as it's not thematic, you know. It's not explicit. It's not as though you're you're constantly thinking about how great you are. Um, it's just this this sense of okay, I'm okay. I've and I I am an important person, and uh, I'm I have what I do is important, and uh, so so I I sympathize with you, and I I sympathize with the critic who who also sympathizes with you. (laughs) So, okay, yeah. Where does he say where does he point out Zacchaeus' faults? Um, okay, yeah I don't think that's yeah right but he doesn't say that yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It's in that that I can stand and cry and say, I am your daughter, fully loved in that first. Yeah. It's not just relationship. I mean, grace, joy, and peace, that's all the same word in are So I'm having trouble like, rationalizing what you mean by glorification
0: without that aspect of grace. Yeah. Okay, and you're thinking of grace here primarily as forgiveness of sins, I take it. That... Uh, but but grace is, is don't you think uh that simply a person rejoicing in your in your existence is grace as well i mean that's a gift um that uh, grace is grace is just um free gift isn't it i mean it's, it's the free gift nature of things are we th- are we done yeah okay uh all right okay well this could go on for, for a while, and maybe it will. Uh. <laughs>